Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Tim Garrett is an extraordinary athlete. Not content with swimming some of the world's most famous and gruelling waterways, Tim tags on runs and rides of hundreds of kilometres to his swims. For instance, Tim has completed the Arch to Arc, which is a run of 87 miles from Marble Arch in London to Dover. Then you swim the English Channel. Then you bike 181 miles from Calais to the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. He is one of only two people in the world to have completed the Arch to Arc and Uberman, an event in which you swim 21 miles from Catalina Island to Los Angeles, which is a major event in itself cycle 400 miles to Badwater Basin, the lowest point in North America, and then run 135 miles through Death Valley before ascending 13,000 feet to Mount Whitney, the highest peak in the continental United States. He plans his own ultra-endurance events, although ultra-endurance doesn't quite sound like the right adjective, given the extraordinary nature of these things, through his company Another Level Performance. Apart from Australia's longest open water swim, he has organised Hard Bastard, where you swim 35 kilometres from Palm Beach to North Bondi, cycle 620 kilometres to Mount Kosciuszko, and then run 162 kilometres in the Australian Alps. He fundraises for the Heart Research Institute, and unsurprisingly, he doesn't sleep very much. His major aim is to tackle the North Pole, which is where our conversation started. My ultimate goal is to do the North Pole and and do a solo unassisted expedition to the North Pole. It's the hardest thing to do on the planet. And when I tell you how hard it is, you'll understand. Um, so more than 2,000 people have swam the English Channel. Uh, more than 30 people have now solo um, unassisted to the South Pole. More, fi- more than 5,000 people have climbed Everest now. More than 30 people have solo sailed around the world. 12 people have walked on the moon. How many people do you think have um, done a solo, unassisted expedition to the North Pole? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I'm going I'm, I'm to say nobody then, or, or not one, many people. One. one person, right. One. Yeah. One. And they did it from Russia, a Norwegian. Yeah. Um, he did it in 2004, I think. So I want to do it from Canada or Greenland, um, and if I can't, I'll have to do it from Russia. But I, it, it's the... it's. That's uh, history-making stuff. You know, it's Scott and Amundsen stuff. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I've got that on my website, but it's hidden away because oh, it is what it is. I have to change a few things. But, yeah, that's my ultimate goal to get sponsorship to do that. And what what does yeah. that involve? So it's an awful lot of trekking, I guess. I mean, you do a lot of cycling as well and a lot of swimming, but I guess it's mostly trekking. That would be... Or do you, yeah, do you have to it, do any ice swimming? Look, if you've seen my, have you seen my YouTube videos where I do some um, going across? Um, they're called open leads. Oh, I, saw I was the... in where was where was I? Greenland, Iceland. I was in Iceland. I was in Iceland, and I put an immersion suit on. I saw the immersion suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crazy. Uh, that was at the bottom of a glacier in Iceland. Um, 
just practicing what it's like to go across the lead. So what happens with um, um, Arctic ice, it's continually moving in a um, anti-clockwise direction and it's influenced by currents and wind. So the, you've got a thing called the Arctic treadmill in the North Pole, which is uh, the North Pole is different than the South. South is on a bed of rock, whereas North Pole is a floating ice pack and it rotates around influenced by um, ocean currents and by the wind. And um, you, as you go along and traverse towards north and hopefully, you know, as you progress, you'll do 10 or, you know, 12, 15 kilometers in one day. And then when you wake up the next morning, you've gone back three or four and then you start again and then you go back again because that's how quickly the ice moves. Oh, wow. So that's, that's yeah. incredible. It's that, incredibly difficult. It's that's incredibly why no one's difficult. done it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so where would, you, where would you start from? I'm planning to hopefully start from the top of Canada. There's a number of logistical problems about doing this. And one is actually getting to the top of that island to be able to, um, to, be able to start your traverse across to the North Pole. Okay. Um, the, the, the costs are extravagant, but they all go to fuel. It's 200,000 US dollars. Wow. You don't understand why I'm doing things I do is to show and demonstrate that if anyone can do it, you know, I've got the resume behind me in terms of fitness and um, polar experience and mountain experience. Wow, that's, that, is an, that is an incredible cost as well, isn't it? So that's, that's yeah, mainly fuel because you can't carry that much food on your back. Uh, yeah, the food, I've got the figures here. And I'm just, um, it's 30 litres of fuel, which is 30 kilograms of fuel. Right. Then you've got, I think, about another, um, I think you've got, there's another 70 or 80 kilograms of food. Because your calorie intake is uh, is absolutely massive, um, yeah. Wow, massive. and and then everything you wear as well. I mean, it's you, you're wearing, you're dealing with the cold, so that's you're annoying. dealing with um, you're dealing with temperatures between minus um, if you if you're lucky minus twenty, but that and that's warm to minus seventy, minus seventy degrees Celsius. That's incredible. So how do you train for this? So you've been to Greenland and Iceland and Antarctica Greenland, as well. Iceland, um, Antarctica, I've done South Pole Expedition. Uh, I go to the Arctic almost every year, either Canada or, or Greenland or, um, or um, Norway, Finland and Sweden. So I've done traverses of all of those areas. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. So it, you've seen an awful lot of the world. Do you prefer doing the, the cold stuff or i know you've done a lot of like you know not frozen things as well but um warm areas running through deserts and all the rest of it what is uh yeah i've, I've run uh, i ran across the kalahari desert a uh, staged race um, 260 kilometers uh it was the hottest i think was 52 degrees celsius wow yeah, it's pretty hot so your body still likes you <laughs> somehow that's incredible <laughs> I smash it, but I look after it. <laughs> yeah. So what what got got you into it? Where does this desire for you know going as long and as hard as you can come from? Where does the love of endurance sports come from? Look, I 
ended up splitting up with my wife in 2000 and um, late 2008, 2009. And then um, in 2010, a girlfriend persuaded me to start running. And at that point, I was a gym junkie and I was, you know, I, I'd, I'd be fair to describe myself as a meathead, the complete opposite of an endurance athlete or a runner. Okay. Uh, I, I literally had to change my morphology from, you know, being a hundred kilo man and eventually getting down to between um, 80 and 82 kilos um, as a runner. Um, so this girlfriend of mine, uh, ex now, but um, she introduced me into running. We, we uh, said we were going to train up for what was then the North Face 100K in the Blue Mountains, and that was in 2010. And we trained up and we thought we'd do 50 each, and um, we ended up doing the 100K each. Wow. It's not an entry-level race. <laughs> That's no, pretty not. tough. No, no, yeah. No. yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a very hard race. Uh, and, um, you know, it, but I, it, it was enough to give me the running addiction that I, I, I actually got. And I ended up running, I, I've run everywhere. I've, I've run on every continent, so doing ultras. Did you find that difficult? Because I imagine to run ultra marathons, you want to be, you don't want to carry much weight, but then when you swim and, and, and you've swum 40, 50 kilometers uh, in one go, it, it actually helps to carry a little bit of extra extra weight, extra fat for the, you know, just for endurance, but also to keep you warm, how do you? How does that work? Uh, doing the extremes of both sports. It's a unique transition to change your morphology from being a you know a meathead, a bodybuilder, and go from uh, fast twitch muscle fiber to a slow twitch endurance runner. And I'm going to tell you that I'm not a fast runner, but I can just keep on going because of. The way I'm, my, I'm wired, my, uh, you know, you have to be stoic and uh, be tenacious to be an endurance athlete. You need to be able to separate, you know, the pain and continue and, and really displace yourself from the reality, which is you go through those phases of when you're doing endurance of what the hell am I doing and why am I doing this to... You know, I'm doing this because I've set goals and I've, I've created a strategy and, you know, I ultimately want to achieve this. And, and that's part of the journey. To do, I've gone on from being an ultra runner to an ultra cyclist. And as you know, I cycled. I came back from South Pole in 2015. And I was mooching around carrying an injury, a, hip, a groin injury from going to the South Pole. Um, but I recovered and a friend of mine was running from, uh, he was doing the USA Ram race, running across America, running from um, LA to Boston. And two weeks outside of Boston, I called him up and I said, hey, um, his name is Jupp Brown. Um, I said, Jupp, do you want to run back? I'm okay now, I've recovered. And straight away he said, no. <laughs> but then two weeks later he phoned me up and said I won't run with you but I'll cycle across Canada with you and I, I, I'm very decisive I, it, takes, it takes me a split second to work out whether I can do it or what do I need to do 
and I just turned around and said, yes, I'll, I'll be there. And a week later, I was there. I met him in uh, in New York, and then we traveled down uh, to go and get the bikes, and then we cycled up. Uh, and eventually, I had to leave him because I realized my visa was going to run out. Uh, so I ended up cycling across uh, Canada by myself from the East Coast across the West Coast, which isn't the norm, and I didn't know it at the time. Normally, you go from... Um, west coast to east because it's easier and you've got the wind behind you <laughs> yeah so um east coast to west uh, all in all i did about i don't know 15,000 k's um it was, a, it was a long ride but it was great i cycled i cycled across from st john's uh new thing which is the most easterly point of uh, north america continent uh to vancouver um and you- i ran out of time i ran out of time because i was planning on cycling from there um over to the island and then coming back up, back onto the mainland and then cycling down to LA again. But I just ran out of time. Um, I slept on the side of the road with a little one-man tent. It was great. That, One of the best things I've done. And you'd cycled before this? Like you were a pretty good cyclist or did this all happen on the spur of the moment at that uh, phone call? No, no, no. I, I, I was cycling. I, 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 I had been doing uh, triathlons. Um, okay. Uh, but you know that was the longest distance I had been doing, 180. And then I, I so yeah, that was the another transition phase for me uh, because going from uh, being heavily muscle set and then changing my morphology to you know and losing 20 odd kilos, and then it took a long time to get into a good place where I could be comfortable. Uh, running, you know, 10 or 12 k's an hour. Um, but my uh, my usual pace would be on a long ultra would be around the 8k mark. Yeah. And that's not particularly fast. Um, you know, and of course, with the big hills, you'd be anywhere between walking pace and 4 and 6 k's an hour. So, yeah. The transition from... Uh, my story goes that I was running... And then I moved over to uh, cycling and ultra cycling and something I really, really enjoy. Both of those I really enjoy. And then I decided, you know what? I'll put them together and I'll do this thing called uh, the Arch to Arc. And I put my application in, but they just couldn't fit me in. So I thought, you know, sort it. I've come this far. Um, I'll get ready for it and I'll do it by myself. And so in December 2015, I joined um, Vlad Swim Group, which is in Sydney. Yep. Um, and he's a well-known, uh, well-respected marathon swim coach uh, that's based at, um, at uh, ABC Pool down at Willamaloo. Yep. But he also coaches at another place. And I gave myself the six months to uh, prepare for the channel, like you do, never having gone further than um, 8Ks in the swim. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, and that's how I started doing these ultra endurance things. Um, uh, so uh, again, uh, you, uh, your original question that you started off was, how did you make that? How did you? How can your body cope with those things? And the transition to go from runner, cyclist to swimmer is easier than the transition and the morphology change that you have to go through from being a bulky swimmer to a marathon runner or a a cyclist. I don't know of anyone that's done that. And everyone that I know that does do um, or has done the Arch to Arc or the thing called the Uberman in in America 
has done it and started the same way where you build up from an endurance runner and you're basically, you're in a niche group. It's, you know, a, a triathlete would not be able to do marathon swimming um, because you just have to bulk up so much to carry that extra energy um, and be broader in the back and uh, bigger shoulder set. Yeah. Um, for men, not for women. Women are, are, have a distinct advantage because um, genetically they're superior in terms of endurance and definitely in swimming. Um, the way their uh, morphology is set, their fat content is, is, is much superior, which is beneficial. And particularly the brown fat. Men, Women have more brown fat content, which is better in the application for uh, endurance sports because um, it's used for both keeping you warm which is an advantage in swimming and also uh, energy release so uh, how do you find the ice swimming then because that's where you know if if the extra fat is good for endurance you really need it for the heat how, how do you go uh, in the ice swimming uh, you know what? I, I, I actually thought, yeah, you, it's beneficial to have the fat. And the, uh, it is, but I've seen some amazing things with people that have been, you know, very lean. Uh, they're, they're not overly over, overly obese or overweight or, you know, they're, they're, you would look at them and go, they're an athlete. And they haven't had to have that content of fat that, that you that we think that you need as a seal or a walrus or, mm-hmm. you know, for swimming in cold. You, uh, it's, um, it's acclimatization and preparation and the amount of preparation and acclimatization that you have to do for ice swimming is, well, there's a lot. And I've only just started. Um, I started beginning of this year to get ready for, to do this. And I started it because I was getting ready to swim the Cook Strait. And I've yep. been waiting. Yep. I, I launched my application to swim the Cook Strait two years. Marathon swimming, there's there's a big timeline for actually getting your lock and locking in your booking for your um, boat to uh, go across any of the channels. Oh, so I knew I knew that for the English Channel, but I didn't know about that for the Cook Strait. The Cook Strait's even longer, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no, no, it's not longer. Or is it? I can't remember that. Look, there. I, I have done. I've done. Uh, what have I done? Four of the far, four of the seven Ocean Sevens um, channel swims. The Ocean Sevens are a series of channels that they deem as uh, the hardest channels in the world. But obviously, there are others that I've found, and every, marathon swimmers agree that some of them are absolutely epic. But um, and they they can be found on the Marathon Swimmers Federation website. Um, look on that you'll see some epic swims there but uh, the Ocean 7 and uh, Red Bull have grabbed that and said yeah these are the hardest uh, channel swims in, in, in the world they include um, the hard- I'll go by the hardest which is the North Channel which is between Scotland and um, Ireland you start off at Ireland and um, it's, it's the hardest because um, it's cold it's around. It can be anywhere between eight degrees and, and and fourteen degrees if you're if you're lucky. But it's got these great big jellyfish. They're called main line jellyfish, and they're huge stingers. I know them. Um, yep. Yeah, they're nasty. And then the second channel, hardest channel, is the Cook Strait. 
so um, I can tick that one off. Then the next one is Molokai, which is Hawaii, between the two islands, Oahu and the other island, I can't remember. Um, that's the third one. Uh, fourth one, I think, is Segura Strait, which is J- Japan. Then fifth one is English Channel. Sixth one is Catalina Island off, off California. And the seventh one is Gibraltar Strait. I've done the uh, English Channel uh, twice. <laughs> I failed the first time because it was 10 degrees. I uh, swam for 10 hours. It just killed me. The second one I've done is I've done uh, Cook Strait this year. I've done uh, Gibraltar uh, in 2017 and uh, no 2018, and I did uh, Catalina in 2017. Yeah, next year I'm doing Molokai, um, and the year after I'm doing a double English Channel swim. Oh wow, that'd be fantastic. Uh, when I say I'm doing those other channel swims, so what I put together is I do. Um, my swim, the channel swim, and then on top of that, I'll put a long bike ride and a long run on the top of that. Uh, there are only two races in the world right now that um, where they have those conditions. Where, uh, and one of them is the Arch to Arc, the English Channel. So you run from London to Dover, 130 kilometers. Then you swim the English Channel, 21 miles, which is around 32 kilometers. But with currents, it, it fluctuates. And then a 290-kilometer bike ride from Calais to Paris. So I've done that. The other one is Uberman, which is in California. It's a swim from Catalina Island to the mainland, uh, which is, uh, again, 21 miles, about 32K. It's a little bit longer with currents. Um, Then you follow up with a 400-mile bike ride, which is 640 kilometers through the Mojave Desert and the mountains in California. And then you run 135 miles, which is, I think it's 235K. A famous race, it's called Badwater. It's through Death Valley. Um, it's the, one of the lowest uh, places on earth, below sea level, 200 feet below sea level. It's seriously hot. And it's one of the hardest races in the USA. So I've done that, those two, and I'm one of two people in the world that have done those. I then came along and said, right, okay, I'm going to put some other things together. So I did Cook Strait this year. So I'm Cook Strait. Then I cycled the South Island through the mountains because there's two ways you can go, and I chose the hard way, of course. And then I ran to um, Queenstown. Now, my uh, original intent was to uh, try and run from the North Island all the way along, do the swim, and then do the whole South Island cycle. But um, logistically impossible with the way that you have to wait for the boat and the opportunities for um, swimming the Cook Strait. It's such a difficult swim. It's it's really choppy and it's a difficult finish. And, uh, yeah, not many people have done that swim. 113 or 115 people, I think, have done it maybe this year. That's incredible. Yeah, in total, yeah, yeah. Imagine doing the entire length of New Zealand. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, well, that was my intention, but unfortunately I ran out of time because I had to, I'd set up um, Australia's longest um, marathon swim to date. It won't be soon, but um, it's 26 kilometres, and I'd set up that race, and I had to come back for it, so I had to cut short the my uh, New Zealand adventure or endurance 
race, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I consider them adventures because they're fun, just completely fun. <laughs> but um, I um, I had to come back early. For, I'd run out of time. I had to wait so long for the boat and the opportunity for for a break in the weather and, and to swim the Cook Strait. Um, yeah, it is what it is, but you have to wait. You have to be patient. And So, um, yeah, I had to cut that short, and I didn't do what I wanted to do, but sure enough, it's still seriously long, uh, 8,000 metres of elevation. Yeah, you have to look on my website, timmygarrett.com, oh, to see what's what. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> and you've also got... So there's the another level performance. Is that is that your company? Uh, yeah, another level performance is a um, a company that I've set up, and it's basically to uh, help promote marathon swimming in Australia. Um, I have got so far two races that I have set up uh, for Palm Beach to Shelley, which is in New South Wales, which is a this year will be a 27 kilometre swim. Um, and there'll be a 10 kilometer component as well, where you can start from Narrabeen and finish at the same point at the, um, um, 27 kilometer swimmers. That's That'll be in end of March this year. That'd be a beautiful swim, especially if you breathe to oh, the it's, right. It's, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's a fantastic swim. Uh, it's really good. Uh, it last, this year was, it's a sharky swim. It's, a, it's, uh, it's not without its, um, element of danger, um, but when you swim a lot, you're you've become accustomed to seeing some big animals in the water. <laughs> ah, well, that's interesting. So you reckon you'll see some sharks? Uh, this year, we there was about six sharks that we uh, ran into and had uh, problems with and had to scare them off. Oh, right. Um, because of what happened uh, this year, I had to change them, make it a bit more stricter on the rolling with um, how the proximity of your support. Mm-hmm. Um, normally when you swim across the channels, you have a boat, you know, usually within 20 meters of you, uh, some of them, you have a kayak, others you don't, uh, you don't have a kayaker for the English channel. Um, I didn't have one for Gibraltar. I didn't have one for Cook Strait. Um, you have one for, um, Manhattan Island. I swam around Manhattan Island this year, well in June. And then I followed up Manhattan Island is a 48 kilometer swim. And then I cycled up to Boston and then across the state to Albany and then ran 145 miles down the Hudson River. So, uh, that, again, that's a world first. I've done three world firsts this year in terms of um, new events, um, which is good fun. That's and incredible. I'm basically, I'm, yeah, I'm basically, I'm a, you could argue that I'm a pioneer and I'm setting the bar and I'm, I'm hoping that other people will follow. Um, but, it, again, it's it's a unique uh morphology and uh, in terms of um, your physical presence and your, uh, and your ability. Marathon swimming is definitely a, a difficult game player and an introduction into endurance events yeah. when you add on bike and swim, yeah. It can't be it can't be cheap. You must go through a lot of gear and just even getting places. But I guess you sleep by the side of the road, so that, that's one. You save on accommodation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, actually, interesting enough, the Canada ride across uh, Canada, uh, I think it was 56 days, and, you know, that was the cheapest of all the things I've done. Yeah, to do, um, to do uh, a marathon swim, there's a lot of money involved. You pay for boats. I mean, you, know, you were talking between... Uh, you know, usually between five and ten thousand dollars for a boat. Yeah, I've heard that about the English Channel. It's not super cheap 
for just for boats? Um, yeah, look, uh, just for the boats, it's around I think oh, memory six thousand dollars or something. Yeah. Okay, okay, and yeah, five or six thousand, yeah. And yeah. tell us about the beautifully named Hard Bastard. Oh, okay, so Hard Bastard, <laughs> um, because there are only two formal races in the world for ultra endurance. I've set up this one uh, in Australia and it is, uh, will be a swim from Palm Beach to um, North Bondi. So we're talking a 40 kilometer swim. Yeah, that's a long uh, way. No wetsuit allowed. Yep. So that's the first thing. Then there is a 650 odd kilometer ride along the coast uh, to uh, Kosciuszko. So there's about eight or 9,000 meters of elevation on that ride. No assistance is allowed for the bike ride. And then you've got a 100-mile run around the mountains, uh, around Kosciuszko. Again, no assistance allowed. That's and that's why it's called Hide Busted. And this, this takes... You, re- you, you, you really need to have um, a survival skills to be able to cope with the conditions because they would be so varied um, in the mountains with the with the uh, run. Yeah, very difficult. What are the rules around sleeping? You obviously can't do all of that in one go. I mean, can you? People must stop no, you, and sleep. No, no. <laughs> no, no. You, you, uh, you, literally, you can't. After, after... Uh, so, my training... Uh, I train for failure when I train when I'm getting ready for something because it's the only way I can learn and practice and develop and be stronger when it comes to the time of me actually doing what I want to achieve. So when I was getting ready for the English Channel, I did Rottnest first, of course. And um, Rottnest, I did a 65-kilometer run beforehand. Then I swam Rottnest, and then I did um, a... uh, Hundred and twenty odd k bike ride. <laughs> Rottnest is not that big. So that, that, <laughs> Just done a few laps. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. On the mainland. Right okay, there. okay. <laughs> so, so that's that's the sort of training uh, that I did for the English Channel for the Arch to Arc. I then um, there's a race, a swim race down in uh, Canberra on the lake there in December, which is a nine k swim. And, and so uh, for other events, I've um, cycled down the Hume Highway to uh, Canberra, then did my 9K swim, and then did another 9K swim on top of that. So a 200K bike ride or 220K bike ride to Canberra from Sydney and then uh, do the swim afterwards straight away. Um, I, that was an experiment because I wanted to know what it would be like and um, – Lo and behold, I discovered a weakness because of the position of my shoulders and from uh, riding and then going into the swim. And likewise, the other way as well. It's such a huge impact on your shoulders, either one of them. Uh, When you ride, you use your shoulders a lot. But also when you swim, of course, you use your shoulders a lot. And so I had to work out how to fix that problem because my swim was... Uh, four hours after doing a, a cycle for 220-odd days. And uh, I'd swum that race before in three hours. And so I had to fix that problem. So the following year, I went back and I did the longer course where I cycled down the 
the high pass of course and up to Canberra. So plenty of elevation. And that was a 400k bike ride and then did the 18k swim. But my swim, initial swim, the first part of the swim was an hour shorter because I'd fixed up my, I corrected what I needed to do for my shoulders, wow. which was simply making my uh, handlebars longer, that's, wider. That's a considerable saving just on a on a small fix. Yeah, it's a small fix, but trying to work out what the problem was, is, it took a little while to work out. But that's what I do to work out. I test the system and then make sure I'm capable. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how do you do nutrition through all of this? If you've got, I imagine you've got to carry your food for, for most of these events. Are there space bars? What, what, how does it work when you're going that far? You must get sick of gels. I don't do gels. Um, I do uh, uh, malt dextrose, uh, powder, mix it up in juice. Um, and basically, there's plenty of petrol stations along the way for this hard bastard race where you can pull up and go and eat whatever you need to eat. So, right. yeah, that's not a problem. That won't be a problem. Okay, okay. Just, oh, so that's... Despite being self-sufficient, there's plenty of opportunity to feed. Okay. <laughs> Does self-sufficient mean you can check into a hotel in Goulburn? Or, uh, yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, 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 yeah. You've yeah. just got to get, as long as you don't get in a car... You can yep. get there however you like. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yep. No car. No car. No. No support. No electric bikes. Um, yeah. You've got to have the right configuration on your bike for a long bike ride like this. It's very hilly. You're going to be completely tired from the, a 40k swim. It's because that's long. <laughs> yeah, by any standard. You do a lot of fundraising as well. Yeah, um, look, about social responsibility and, you know, having the opportunity to represent charities and uh, create awareness and raise money. So uh, I think that's a good thing. Um, I don't necessarily raise a lot of money, but I definitely help uh, aware, make people aware of causes. And yeah, it's one of those things. And what's next? Hard basket in January. So it's actually, it is actually going ahead. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. I'll be doing it. Um, I think there's a guy from uh, New Zealand who's uh, a bit of a, a, a natu- uh, an athlete that has done Enduroman and has, has actually won a few times. So, um, yeah, he, I think he's up for it and possibly uh, one other person. There's, you know what, not everyone can step up and do this type of thing. Um, it's physically exhausting. Marathon swimming is difficult by any standard and when you follow up with a bike ride and a, and a run well you're talking you know less than 50 less than 50 people in the world could do it yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, so. it must be i mean there's the physical side of it but the mental side of it must be quite taxing as well it must be very taxing i mean i know the human body can actually go for a long time just physically but but mentally most people can't how do, how do you train your mind for this is it just practice 
hundred percent. It's just practice. It's, uh, you know, I've done that many endurance races with running that you, you learn to find yourself. And I've been in, um, very uncomfortable mm, conditions, um, uh, particularly in the, uh, um, Arctic, um, that's why I, I, when I went, went, went up to the Arctic and I, I did a race, um, it was at the top of Canada and, um, I signed up for the 120 miler with the option of doing 350 miler. And I thought, okay, I'll be able to go in 350 miler. But I got to the end of the 120 miler and, and I, I was in, I came second, but I sat down at the end of the race and I went, that was so hard that that just absolutely knocked the wind out of me it was so difficult technically there were so many things to look after with the cold with the wind um with frostbite it's it's literally just knocked me off my feet and i went i absolutely love this and that's how i you know i never intended to be a polar adventurer but that's where i went you know what i want i want a piece of that action that's what i want to do i i never intended to be an ultra runner or an ultra cyclist i was you know happy going to the gym but you know things change along the course of you know your journey and life's short and you realize you know you've got to have as many experiences and adventures as possible is and, there uh, is there anything i mean apart from the clothes you wear is there anything particularly different between running across the desert compared to running through the arctic oh yeah 100 percent. yeah in, in the desert, you, you, you're wearing minimalist clothing and, um, and you're protecting yourself from the sun and you're watching dehydration and that's basically and you're keeping and maintaining your energy. But you're going lightweight and in cold conditions, it's the complete opposite. You have to monitor whether you're going too hot or too cold because you, if you're if you're heating up, then you're sweating and then you're losing too much body heat. And then because of the cold, you can end up getting frostbite. And frostbite is a horrible thing. It's very painful. And then if you're too cold, you can end up having hypothermia. And again, I mean, I've had hypothermia a few times and I can tell you that's uncomfortable as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, not known as a fun experience. <laughs> No, <laughs> and the thing that the cold is that you have to carry all your kit and you yeah. have to layer. And, you know, it is a strategy game. I mean, I've been warm running down Everest and just a minute, obscure thing and lack of um, attention to detail and it costs you. And uh, I've had hypothermia running down Everest and I only just made it back to Namche Bazaar um, with severe hypothermia. And I was lucky and I was out cold for four hours. I passed out. And um, it was just because I was running through the clouds and I didn't um, layer up correctly. And, and I just got extremely cold. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you learn from inexperience and, and gain tacit knowledge with, all the things that you collectively put together. Yeah. So, yeah, it's unique. Yeah. Well, cold is extremely difficult because you have to carry so much stuff. You're burdened with weight, you're burdened with cold, you're burdened with the wind, uh, poor conditions, visibility, 
in deserts, it's the opposite. You, you're going light, uh, and your main problem is water and uh, hydration, and of course fuel. But technically, it's not not as difficult. I don't think, personally, in my experience. What's your decision-making like when you're under such stress? I know on, in, in low oxygen, there's actual effects on your brain, but if you're under such stress, having done such, uh, put, put your body through so much, what, do you make good decisions or how does it work? Yeah, I've made good decisions because of experience of making such <laughs> many bad decisions. Right. And I've made many bad decisions because I've tested myself and looked for uh, failure and and finding fault in what I do. So I've come off a run in the Kalahari, and a week later I was running in the uh, the rim across the uh, what's the in in America? What's the big canyon there? What's it called? The Grand Canyon? Not that one. That's probably Grand Canyon. The, the Grand so I was running. Yet. No, no, no. Yes, I was running the Grand Canyon, and I was—I I got a massive headache, and I couldn't work out why. And I was really slow running. I thought, oh, it must be due to the Kalahari. It was actually due to altitude. I had a bit of altitude problem uh-huh. at 8,000 feet, and I couldn't work out why. Eventually, I worked it out. And from there, I went on to the next race, which was altitude, because I, I thought I corrected it. And again, at Leadville, which Leadville 100 mile is, is an altitude, and that's at 12,000 feet. Um, I eventually corrected that when I did uh, ran up Everest. Um, I, I went above base camp, but I literally got above base camp within three days from um, from uh, Lukla, the airport where you arrived, which is you know, unheard of. But I did a lot of altitude training um, to, to correct it, um, those problems. So it's just learning from experience um, what to do. Yeah, right. So, uh, um, I, and my, as an athlete and an endurance athlete, I've developed and looked to correct things. So I started off um, as a wetsuit swimmer for the Arch to Arc. And I did the same thing again. In all my training, I was training with wetsuits to, well, hopefully to, uh, to improve my swimming. Um, and I've gone and improved it. And so for Arch to Arc, I did the a wetsuit swim across the channel. And then I did Catalina and wetsuit training. And then I started focusing, I was always obviously always focusing on improving my stroke and uh, my style of swimming, both in terms of speed and efficiency. And I, I haven't got there yet, and no, by no means have I, but I I swam cook straight without a wetsuit, and I swam, um, I swam rottenness without a wetsuit, I swam... Uh, Gibraltar without a wetsuit and uh, Manhattan Island without a wetsuit. Uh, and I've also then gone from, okay, no wetsuit. Uh, I'm slightly faster. I'm slightly better. Now I've got to get accustomed to the cold. And, I've, and that's how I've been developing. So I'm looking for ways of improving as an athlete. So. Yeah, well, I mean, th- there aren't too many challenges left. <laughs> I, guess the, I guess the North Pole is the, is the, the final goal. Yeah, that's my bucket list. I mean, I, 
I'm doing all these. Uh, I've got Molokai booked for next year, which and I've a seriously difficult run. I think only two people have done it. Uh, the ridge line is literally um, less than a meter wide uh, of the volcanic ridge line, and it runs between 55 and 70 miles along the length of the island. But I, I think only two people have done it. So it's seriously hard run after doing a 48 kilometer swim, and that's a seriously hard swim because you're fighting the currents and you're trying to compete with the tide. So, yeah, and then, you know, you have the shark problems as yeah, well. A bit of a shark um, problem, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to try and cycle across after I finish the run, try and cycle across from one island to the next island across the sea. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, yeah, I am looking for... Uh, uh, that's Molokai, so that'll be my fifth... Um, um, channel. Uh, this year, I was going to go and book um, North Channel and do that in 21, 2021. But uh, look, a lady called, uh, I think her name is Sarah Thomas. She just swam the English Channel four times. She's just ch changed the whole landscape of swimming and marathon swimming. Um, you know, so uh, an absolute unbelievable uh, feat of endurance first person to do it and uh, that that is that is epic in terms of uh, uh endurance and that was non, and it's equivalent, non stop it's, as well it, wasn't it yeah and that it's equivalent to the guy running the one hour 59 and 40 seconds marathon mm -hmm. uh, you can't take that away from that's a, a incredible feat of endurance you know too big and just a few days before that um a guy called Cameron Cameron uh, Bellamy he did an, a massive swim uh which was I can't remember how many hours it was a hundred and something stupid hours uh, an incredible <laughs> swim um yeah so there's some uh, amazing athletes out there endurance uh yeah so I've got um yeah North Channel on my radar uh, so because of what she did um this year uh, less than a month ago um, I changed it and I thought, okay, you know what, I'll do a double arch to arc. And I'd been trying to uh, deal with the French government and applied for, um, four times I've applied for uh, doing a double channel swim. Um, and you're not allowed to do a double channel swim. Uh, I wanted to do a double arch to arc. So run from London to Dover, swim the channel, cycle to Paris, get to Paris, cycle back to Calais, swim the channel, and then run back to London. You can't do that. Uh, you can only do a double channel swim or a, um, multiple channel swims if you are less than 10 minutes on the beach when you arrive at Wissant in France. Right. That's yep. the French law. So I uh, came up with a scenario with um, Edgar Etty and Chris Etty from uh, Enduraman in, in, in England. And I said, how does this, uh, how does this gel with you? I've, I've already applied. I'm not getting anywhere with the French government. Can I do a double channel swim then uh do my bike double bike ride and double run and they said no one's done it uh we're happy to have you on board we'll we'll sanction it so yeah so that's what i've done okay that'll be that'll be difficult <laughs> that that'll be that'll be amazing yeah my program is just to build bigger shoulders uh, get in the gym build bigger shoulders and just improve my swimming and try and get faster uh, that's what i've got to do you must you must consume about a hundred kilos of food a day. <laughs> you must be no, burning um, calories like crazy. 
Yeah, no, so when I get ready for our, one of my events, uh, literally um, about two months out, it, it'll be a, uh, um, um, a kind of milkshake that I make up. Um, I don't do dairy when I call it a milkshake. It's, um, so it'll be, I always have either blackcurrants or blueberries, and then I'll have a banana in it. And then um, I ground up uh, porridge oats. This is all in a blender. And then I'll have um, either soy milk, um, almond milk, or just plain water. And then I will have between half a cup and a cup of either rice bran oil or grapeseed oil. And the reason is for the oil is because um, your uh, calories or kilojoules is twice as much as a, as a sugar. So 34 right. kilojoules, I think it is, um, compared to 17 for fat oil so i can gain gain between two and a half and three thousand calories just for breakfast in a, in a, in that drink yeah okay that's and the good thing is it's uh, it's uh it lowers the cholesterol as well okay. so my cholesterol level uh, you uh, you can't go but you have to treat this endurance as a science and so you work out what's right what's wrong your fuel is uh, absolutely imperative, and so is your rest. I mean, I don't sleep much. Uh, I find that four or five hours is enough for me, um, and then I'm off. I'm, I put, um, when I'm training and getting ready, I'll be up at 3.30, but right now I, I have a line, and it's 3.45. I get up, then I do my stretching. Then I uh, go for a run, 10K run, come back. Then I'll bike ride to the pool to uh between a three and a half and a five k set, and then um, off to work. Um, when I'm doing cold stuff, uh, I know the swim's going to be cold. I'll do a plunge, a cold plunge at lunchtime, and then go to work, back to work, and then I'll finish work between six and seven. Come home, do the kids, and then um, go off training again, either a bike or or a ride at night time. Finish around ten o'clock at night. Go to bed between ten and eleven o'clock. Wow, that's a that's a big that's a massive day. You're, you're cramming a lot of lifetimes into one. Yeah, but you know what? Life's short, and you know, I've seen some amazing people who burn the candle at both ends, and um, I've seen people that have lost the use of their limbs and they look at me and they go, you know what, if I were you, I'd be doing the same thing. That the, you know, we don't take advantage of what we have yep. and we're able to do. And uh, that's a sad thing. Do you have a favourite experience or swim experience or just endurance experience? The Cook Strait was the, my hardest swim to date. And um, I, look, I really trained for that. I really trained for the cold and I really trained my shoulders for the choppy because it's a, it's a really choppy swim. Um, it was a really difficult swim. You'll see on my YouTube channel. If you go to my website, timmygarrett.com, you'll see my YouTube and you can see how difficult that, that finish on that swim was. It took eight goes and in pitch dark to touch rock because that's what you have to do to, um, to have the swim 
validated. But yeah, the Cook Strait, I, I was I was stoked about doing that, finishing that second artist channel swim. Yeah, and then um, I just I've the last month I just did my Ice Mile qualifier, and that is the hardest swim I've done. <laughs> right, <laughs> harder yeah. than any any other swim. It's just. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the degree of difficulty, <laughs> the amount of commitment the effort made, the sensation at the end. Yeah, unbelievable. I had hypothermia for an hour after doing my ice mile qualifier. It's basically you have to swim uh, in water that's less than five degrees. Um, I was up in the snowy mountains and uh, found some two to three degree water and did my... Uh, swim with um, watchful eye of uh, Ben uh, who's a marathon swimmer and um, yeah uh, he helped me out and got me to recovery point so yeah and I could feel myself sinking when you go into that kind of temperature you know within the space of three minutes you've lost all feelings in your hands and your feet and then your legs start to go uh, you get the claw um, swimmers get get the claw when their hands get cold and where you physically can't open your your hands you look like a lobster claw um with your hands i was just clenching that and then uh, eventually your legs start to sink uh, my shoulders were just completely blown out i've i have don't think i've felt more tired in any other swim uh, i can't compare any other swim like when i did the english channel i got to the end and i went i i didn't even, there was no jubilation. Uh, it was just, I wonder if I could do a double. And that's where straight away I started applying to the French government for a double channel swim. But the shoulders, they were just, uh, I felt like I ran into a brick wall after doing a nice mile swim qualifier. Wow. So thousand how- meters, less than five degrees. Seriously difficult. Very, very difficult. Only uh, we Australia's got uh, Wyatt as the uh, number one uh, ice mile swimmer, Tara, diversity up in Queensland, uh, Ben and Sam Penny. Uh, so, yeah, we've got four ice mile swimmers in Australia. Um, I think I'm the only one who's done a qualifier. So, um, yeah, five of us, I've got, to, I've been waiting, but we just didn't get around to it. The, so I'll have to wait till next year. The videos were, were very cool. Excuse me, taking, yeah. taking the, the camera underwater and then swimming underneath the ice, that made me a bit anxious, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come up, please. <laughs> just just great fun. I mean, I literally, this weekend, I went up to uh, the snowy mountains. There's still cold water up there coming down, and uh, I swam in the cold, uh, less than five degrees up in the dam up there. Um, and then I came down, back down yesterday from the mountains, and today I was swimming off Coogee and uh, around the island off Winning Cake Island a little Great. Bit different yeah. where else can you do that in the world <laughs> yeah can, can you actually get a full mile in in the snowy mountains when you do the when you when you do the full ice mile can, can you, is there anywhere where you can swim that far yes yeah you can yeah yeah yes but normally they don't do long distances because when you come out you uh, you I'll send you the link. Um, I'm actually making a, a, a video, uh, so I haven't exposed it. or uh, It's in private mode, but I'll send it to you just for your eyes only. When you see what I went through, you'll just go, 
uh, you know, this, this is another level of crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that, you've been through a number of different levels of crazy in this conversation, I've got to say. Um, yeah, one of the craziest moments, I was in the Arctic ice. Um, um, and um, Have you ever seen Ice Road Truckers? Uh, I know the show, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're in Canada <laughs> and they're going long on ice. And I was really fortunate. I'd seen a show a couple of weekends before, uh, weeks before I'd, I went up there to do this race, which was the 350 miler, so 560k um, run along the uh, ice road. And this trucks are supposed to, they have a certain weight, and that weight governs their speed because if when they're traveling along, if they go too fast, it can end up cracking the ice. And so what happens is it's like a bow wave, a bow wave that pushes in front and surges underneath the ice as the truck's going along. And I could feel um, way before I saw the truck or heard the truck, this wave coming under the water flowing under the ice. And we're not talking thin ice. We're talking six to eight foot thick ice. Yeah. And when the truck came through, the ice literally cracked and just went up. And I went up there a meter up in the air and straight away I went into surfing position going, which way am I going to dive if the ice cracks? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That's, yeah, not, that was, that's was, not an experience you have every day. No, it's incredible. <laughs> Especially yeah. not in Australia. Yeah, and now I'm having done the immersion suit um, training in Greenland and just going into a the bottom of a glacier and seeing how cold it is and now actually being in the position where I can just wear some swimmers and having done training and going to the same water, you can see how I've committed in that transition. It, it, you know, everything is, everything is a strategy and you, you're looking to achieve goals all the time. Yeah. So yeah. when do you think that the North Pole Challenge might, might happen? Look, I've got North, I've got uh, North Channel, uh, and followed by a long bike ride and a long run, and then after that I have uh, Segura Strait, which is Japan, and that was going to be a South Island bike ride up to the top of the South Island, do the swim, and then run up to Sapporo, three hundred and fifty odd miles or Um I'm hoping at some stage that someone's going to pick me up and say, "Hey, we've seen what you do." Without a doubt, it's crazy. Um, without a doubt, it's unique. No one else is doing it. Um, you know, and I'm hoping that I can become a brand ambassador and or representative and and get some money my way to support me in doing something that's the hardest thing, as far as I'm concerned, on the planet to do. And like I said to you before, the numbers are something like this. Uh, more than 30 people have solo sailed around the world, circumnavigated around the world. More than 2,000 people have swam the English Channel. More than 5,000 people have climbed Everest from either both sides. Um, I think the numbers are like 4,500 on the uh, Nepal side and on the China side, it's around 1,600 to 2,000. So it's a ridiculous amount. Then we have um, 30, more than 30 people have soloed um, expedition unassisted to the south pole and then 12 people have walked on the moon at the north pole only one person has achieved that a solo unassisted norwegian uh from russia i want to go from uh canada and do a solo unassisted expedition but the costa 
uh, absolutely extravagant. Um, and we're talking, you know, 200,000 US dollars. And all of that is fuel. That's for a fuel depot and the fuel storage on the plane to be able to pick you up or recover you and rescue you because you can't get insurance for these things. Right, of course. So you've just got to have them on standby. Yeah. So I've got those and um, the Arctic, the uh, the ice mile swim is also to set myself up to do a ice mile swim in Antarctica, then do a solo expedition to the South Pole and then cycle back from the South Pole. I feel comfortable telling people that I, I'm going to do this because uh, not many people can do an ice mile swim in the world. That's one. Two, you have to have the resume and the experience to be able to do a solo expedition to the South Pole. And three, you have to be mad to ride a bike back from the <laughs> South Pole. <laughs> so, you know, I've got a number of big projects that uh, I can quite comfortably call mine and busy yourself with. Yeah. My yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Yes, I'm pretty sure some of that might align with some adventure companies or GPS trackers or all the rest of it. I think uh, mm. there must be some brands out there that would be interested in that. Look, it's in, in Australia, it's just a no-go. There isn't the opportunity. But in England and, and in USA, I get media coverage in USA. Um, I don't hardly get anything here. So, you know. It's, I guess it's just small. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we're just small. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, at least 10 people will listen to this podcast, so there you go. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, because you and I. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So maybe maybe the CEO of uh, Garmin's listening. Who knows? <laughs> Thanks very much for listening in to this episode of the pod and thank you very much to Tim Garrett, one of the more extraordinary athletes I've ever spoken to, for taking the time to take us through his adventures on this episode. If you'd like any more information on anything you heard in this episode, including on Tim's adventures, or maybe you want to sign up to Hard Bastard, get over to my website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And there you'll see links to all the music used in this episode as well. My name's Mark West. Thanks very much for joining me. I'll catch you next time on The Pod.